Welcome along to another NHL Fans from Afar and another, I want to say another big week in hockey, but then I'm going to fall into that trap of saying every week's a big week in hockey. It is, isn't it? And you hear it on shows all of the time. When have you ever heard a show or a podcast that said, oh, it's a bit of a quiet week this week? You know what, though? I think we've come to a point in the season where the newness of the season is starting to wear off. Yeah. You're seeing that with a couple of the goalies in NHL now. Mm-hmm. With their, you know, like Carey Price said, I've just got to go and sort my head out. Well, you know, yeah. We had a really crap Start week, Start stopping some pucks, Carey. <laughs> That's and what you got to do. And he to go and sort his head out. And, and yeah. it's that time of season where, you know, they're talking about, like, Oilers won a game last night, which was absolute must win yeah but it was like Although if seemingly, you don't win it's going to be your season over it's november <laughs> seemingly for the oilers that seems to be every game i swear we were talking <laughs> a few weeks ago and it was this was a must win game for the oilers you know your team's struggling or is in trouble when every game is a must win regardless of what other results are taking place um but yeah no i agree with you but i think it is getting to that point now where when fans or players or coaches or gms use the excuse of it's early it's now getting to the point where, okay, point it is, prizes. but exactly, and I can't remember the official stats, so this is a very half-baked uh, statement to make, but there was something about that I read about teams who are like six points adrift of a playoff spot at this point in the year. The percentage mm. of them making the playoffs is actually quite low. Depends on what division you're in, though, doesn't it? Of course. I mean, if you're looking... Say Leafs uh, conference division. Yeah, let's talk about that, shall we? Well, look, in that, that's pretty <laughs> damn tight, okay? Yeah, yeah. Today, we're going to be talking, uh, you know, over on Western Conference territory. Mm-hmm. And some of them, you just think, ah, oh, it's, it's not even, it's just a bit of a joke. Like, yeah. You know, they're going to make the playoffs because there's so many yeah, teams yeah, yeah. tanking and kind of on rebuild. So it's not such a big thing. But right now, in Atlantic division, every, every point means. You know, it counts, doesn't it? It does. And you get to a point in the season, and I I remember this from last season uh, with the race for the Leafs against uh, Tampa Bay and Boston, where games particularly against teams in your own division mean so much. Like, I was so frustrated in the way that Toronto lost to Boston because it's Boston and we always lose to Boston. But, and I hate losing to Boston, but we lost to Boston and yet we hammer New Jersey and then we go and hammer the LA Kings. And you think, those guys are not even in our division. Beat Boston and then, you know, slip up against one of the others. But, you know, it's a long season. And I think as a as a Leafs fan and as as fans of many teams who are doing well this season, it's just strange because mm. it's all about the playoffs. Like how long how long ago was it that as a Leafs fan you could sit there and go, I feel pretty confident we're gonna make the playoffs. Like, how are we gonna do in the playoffs? It's November. Like, enjoy the whole season, and you might as well enjoy games, even if they don't mean that much in the in the main season. Gosh, it's like one of those. It's November. Somebody in my block of flats has put their Christmas tree up. Ah, you know they're the type of person the who is the ice hockey fan that's waiting for the playoffs already. They've yeah. got their. I yeah, mean, I've actually got an app right which says uh, days until, <laughs> and so I put days until Christmas. Yeah. Um, but I've also got days until Nylander Day. So I was going to ask, have you got that one? And <laughs> I would prefer if you didn't tell me that, because that's stressing me out. Do you know what? I'm just bored of talking about it. Well, do I you was know? listening to Hockey Central today. Yeah. I've, I've, I've done a lot of driving this week, so I've done a lot of just listening and, and just yeah. inhaling yeah, same here, actually. stuff. Yeah. And I think they were also just like, you know, at what point does this 
just end? Well, yeah. Well, December 1st. Oh, actually, I've called it Woolly Watch Over. Uh, 16 days as we record this podcast. It's the night before this podcast is released. Yeah. So 16 days until Woolly Watch Over. Oh, man, it's stressing me out. Like, we'll we'll talk about it. So today, what we're going to do, the way it's going to work, is we are going to, myself and Claire are going to talk through some NHL headlines, stuff that's happened this week. We'll talk a bit about Nylander. We'll talk about Tom Wilson, obviously. Um, we'll talk about the Hockey Hall of Fame, things like that. And then um, about halfway through the pod, I will hand over to Claire for reasons I will not bore you with, but uh, <laughs> boring admin calendar stuff, um, I will hand over to Claire. And then it's over to you. Yeah, a really exciting conversation, actually, with a guy who by day is a doctor. He works in A&E, uh, up in the Northwest uh, hospitals. and uh, Of England, that is, not of uh, the Northwest of Canada or the States. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good point. Um, but then he also works as a doctor for an elite league uh, hockey team, and he has seen a few things, including players who've, their eyeballs have almost fallen out their sockets. Maybe, maybe that's, I'm going to say that. Do you know what? I'm just too squeamish and that's why I'm not going to be around for this chat. <laughs> <laughs> but on the week where we see um, statements from Gary Batman, uh, NHL looking at this tentative agreement of settlements with players uh, who uh, say that they were not warned sufficiently about uh, what damage uh, several uh, recurring head hits would do to them and their lives. We're going to look into that and look at it from a medical point of view, from a sporting point of view. What do we actually know about it and how does the game need to change? It'll be a really fascinating chat. I think, like you, as you say, I was I was listening to a lot of podcasts from the States in Canada this week and that subject is one that they're obviously finding very difficult to gauge. And I think people on air are finding it very difficult to gauge because it is so complicated. And how many times, Claire, have you heard somebody go, well, I'm not a doctor. Well, we have got a doctor and he can't say that. So, uh, yeah, it'll be fascinating to hear that stuff. It's obviously a a huge story in the NHL and one that's going to go on for a long time. Um, And so, yeah, that'll be uh, with you a bit later. A couple of things, right? So... Mm -hmm. I was watching uh, On The Fly. You know, it's on an NHL network, isn't it? You just leave it on when you're doing your washing up. Yeah, yeah. Or pretending to. Um, (laughs) And uh, they had Craig Christens on, who's an NHL hockey writer. Yeah. And he's got a new book out called Behind The Net. And it is... Behind the net or behind the bench? Oh, sorry, behind the bench. Behind the bench. Behind the bench. It's on my, it's on my Amazon wish list for it, Christmas. It, well, I went. I just went ahead. I read the sample on my Kindle and yep. I was hooked. And what he does is he goes back with several different coaches. I'm looking forward to the Joel Quenville and mm. Mike Babcock um, chapters in particular. And he takes a key game in their in their career and discusses with them, watches it with them in their own home or wherever they watch it. Mm. And then he kind of gets their take on it. And he kind of goes back in time to kind of compare the then and the now to understand how they work. And it, it, it honestly, it's, it's really fascinating. But also, I really enjoy him as a writer because yeah. he's he's just so real. And he talks about how nervous he is going around to some of these guys' houses yeah. And thinking, oh my God, what if my laptop doesn't work? What if their Wi-Fi doesn't connect to my laptop? What if I can't <laughs> play this? What if the DVD is scratched and gets yeah. stuck? Like, he's really real about it. Um, Have you heard just... his podcast? I haven't. So he does a podcast called The Full 60, uh, which is brought to you by The Athletic. And it's really good. Yeah. It's really good. And he takes stories of... Um, players, coaches, people in the game and tends to do a kind of in-depth interview 
with them. And they're not necessarily household names all the time, but they're people who are, have had influence kind of had influential careers on the game of ice hockey really? like skating coaches or performance coaches or some of some of them are players as well and it's fascinating absolutely fascinating that. the full 60 and it's by the athletics craig custon's thing that he's done um and he talks a lot about that book as well which what made you think about i, I can't wait to read it i'm really excited about i just it. i love stuff like that and the other one i, I picked up was leave no doubt which is uh one of Mike Babcock's mm. books. That's on my bookshelf. Ago, actually. Yeah. Is it? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't realise that Scotty Bowman wrote the um, foreword to it. Because yeah. um, Sidney Crosby writes the foreword to uh, Behind the Bench. How cool is that? From, uh, yeah. when And they, they talk about when they go back to these moments, when they watch the games, they'll just be kind of chilling out at home. And then highlights will come on from one of their key games and they'll be watching themselves playing the game. And they'll remember... <laughs> the details of how they were feeling at that moment it kind of takes him straight back into that that emotion that that feeling he's straight back yeah. into that moment and i just i love stuff like that yeah i geek out on that the babcock one's really good and it's a really good one for as, as claire said leave no doubt it's a really good one for even if you're not um massively into ice hockey it's a really interesting uh kind of management book and mm. kind of self not self-help but kind of a like a you know, getting the best out of yourself mm. and all of that kind of stuff. And it's fascinating insight into how he works as a coach. Um, and yeah, no, really worthwhile. That's very interesting that those are the two books that you got. Well, and then actually talking about management books. Mm. So the NHL Network have got a new podcast out as well. Yeah. It's called have, Executive Suite. And I listened to the first episode, which they've clearly done a couple of months ago. They must have done it in the off season. Yeah. The first episodes with Gary Bettman, oh, yeah. NHL commissioner. Clearly, he's not talking about anything controversial, which <laughs> we'll dip into later in this podcast. Um, I, I, I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I was going to. No. It takes you behind the scenes of these people and what are their lives like? How are they affected by some of the big decisions that they make? Because obviously they've released this to tie in the fact with we saw a Hockey Hall of Fame mm. this weekend in Toronto. Gary Bettman was one of yeah, you know inducted. many people who was inducted. He is the type of person who fans love to hate. He's booed whenever he takes yeah. out the Stanley Cup. Depends where um, he is a lot of the time, doesn't it? Clearly been a, a key person in the NHL's settlement or tentative settlement, which is going out at the moment on the concussion uh, uh, case. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was for a guy that has been with the sport for 25 years, mm. you know, 1993, I was listening to, to a couple of guys talking, 1993, the NHL didn't have a website. No, I was um, one. <laughs> really? Yeah. The, oh, that's just awful. Oh, my God. <laughs> they didn't yeah. have a website. You know, a lot no. of the owners were going to jail for fraud and various other activities. So we had to come in and firefight to pull that around. And he turned it from um, several several hundred million pounds of turnover to, you know, multi-billion. Four billion, I think. And now, expanded it? the league yeah. with so many more teams. So you can see why he has a place there. But it, it kind of like talked about him and his how he juggles his family and his grandkids and where he lives and how that works and I mean yeah it's, it's all right I hope that the other ones are I don't know who else they're releasing on the podcast but... no it'll be interesting I always it, I always find those podcasts enjoy I haven't heard that one to be honest but I find those kind of podcasts can sometimes sound um 
like a little bit corporate and I think it's quite difficult when you're kind of when you're inside the NHL to do an inside the NHL without it sounding a little PR-y mm. but it'll be interesting to see how they do um, 31 Thoughts as well is another very good podcast I don't know why we're promoting other podcasts we should be promoting ourselves but no, um, no. but we, anyway we all listen to this stuff. 31 Thoughts the podcast um, is another one by Sportsnet Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman and uh, they had uh, Gary Bettman on as well uh, last week and they did an in-depth one and they did cover quite a lot of the you know uh, difficult subjects for him and um, a really interesting really interesting chat he's a very interesting character let's get, let's talk about that we'll come on to like Tom Wilson Tom Wilson and the rest of the stuff in a bit but let's talk about the Hockey Hall of Fame because I think that's a really interesting storyline so I don't think and I could be massively wrong here but I don't think a lot of people have a problem with Gary Bettman being in the Hockey Hall of Fame because I think even fans who who struggle with him or feel hard done by by him couldn't argue the fact that he has not grown the game and he's put more money into the game and he's you know he has done some positive things for ice hockey i think the interesting side of this is that he has been inducted into the hockey hall of fame while he's still working and i do wonder whether there is a mm. feeling much like you have to with players what you have to wait like 3 years or something like that i wonder whether there's a feeling of why why this year why, why now why don't you just wait until he finishes and then we'll judge your work because i mean who knows he could absolutely tank it over the next three years he won't but he could mm. and so i think that was an interesting kind of subplot here we um, go look the it. revenues have grown from 400 million dollars to more than four and a half billion per season i mean you can't yeah you can't argue with that and yeah. i know people say it's not all about money but it is and, you know, to get the kind of the success and the the game that we have. And on this podcast, um, on 31 Thoughts, the podcast, he talked a lot about how, um, you know, he sees the future of hockey as um, it doesn't need a revolution. But of course, we're open to evolution of the game. Mm. So he very much believes that the game is good and people like the game and anything that they do in the future will be just about making the game better but we're talking about little changes i know there's been a lot of talk this week about playoff formats and whether more teams so as the nhl gets bigger should there be more teams in the playoffs and you could end up having a you know i heard one suggestion of a, a playoff for the playoffs like you know they're kind of the you'd have the wild card teams and then the two teams below it play a series of three games or four games against you know in the wild card spots and it just opens up any more complicated well you see i think the nhl is quite simple i know the wild card is a little bit of a you've got to just work it out but i mean it's 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 all right like it doesn't yeah yeah but it depends again what division you're talking about you talk about pacific which we're going to talk about later because it just so happens our doctor is a san jose um sharks fan now that's a different it's a completely different kettle of fish to um, Atlantic Division, where yeah. there are several teams who are really going to have to work hard all season to yeah. even get to the first round of the playoffs. That's what I. That's what I don't like as a fan. I don't like, and it might just be you know, uh, a spoiled least fan. Um, but I don't like the fact that round one for us this year is probably going it's to be brutal. Boston or Tampa. Like the chance of Maple Leafs getting past round one at the moment feel. Like that is an achievement in itself. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't know. I would just and that for me, I think that's another thing about the regular season because you can have teams that get to a point in the regular season where you think, well, it doesn't really matter. Like Leafs last year 
realistically, they were never going to catch um, Tampa or Boston. And you kind of look at it and you go, well, there's not that much to play for. Wouldn't it be more interesting if, you know, there was not the East and West thing and you just looked at the playoffs and the, the top team played the bottom team regardless of division and then the next, second team played the, you know, and you worked up that way. And so you could end up having some far different matchups. Mm. But yeah, I mean... But then, as as Gary Bettman said, you know, this is a game that we love, and it's going to be like a twelve twelve month game. Well, yeah, it's <laughs> not going to be an off season. See, I used to think, and I don't know what you think about this, but I used to think the NHL was missing a trick by the Stanley Cup being over seven games. Why don't you make it like one game? Why don't you make it like the Super Bowl? Make it an event. Draw millions and millions of people to it. Because realistically, to follow a seven game series, you you need to be a fan. Like, yeah, we've to said follow this before, it every game. Like, that's quite tough. Um, but some of the other people um, well, inducted. Oh, for oh, me. Go, go on. Um, Marty Brodeur. Yeah. Um, yeah. When he actually cried when he gave his speech. And um, oh, I just thought it was amazing. I mean, he was an amazing goalie anyway. But he talked about how when he was 14, um, he was actually just going to quit the game. And his brother <laughs> said, don't be a knob. <laughs> well, he didn't quite say that. His brother basically Very said, British. no, come on, you know, get, get on it. He was cut from a team, I think. Yeah. And his brother said, no, keep going, keep going. And so now his brother reminds him of that all the I time. I bet he does. Saying, yeah. Every birthday and Christmas, I would exactly. imagine. Exactly. Yeah, apparently his brother grabbed him by the collar. <laughs> this is what he said in his speech. Grabbed him by the collar and, uh, and said, come on. And took him straight back and he went back in the team and, and there and there he goes. Willie O'Ree is another amazing story um, of the the Hockey Hall of Fame inductees. And interestingly, Gary Bettman um, is, has been, there's been video proof of Gary Bettman asking whether uh, Willie O'Ree was actually inducted this year as well because he was a huge fan of him. Um, first black player to play in the NHL. And not only that, has done huge amounts for the game afterwards to kind of include more people and to mm. make sure that the sport keeps up. He's actually friends with Snoop Dogg, isn't he? Is he? So you, have you seen the videos? Oh, Snoop Dogg's NHL... a massive fan, isn't he? Yeah, of course. So they got Snoop Dogg, uh, was it last year, doing the um, yeah. explaining yeah. different parts? <laughs> and that was a big part, yeah, that Willie O'Ree and him connected because they wanted to get more young people uh, involved in the game to turn away from crime, from. You know, uh, if they're not necessarily great on education, he was one of the key people in getting young people involved yeah. in the game to, you know, deter them from taking a bad turn. Why be involved in crime on the streets when you can get on ice and be involved in crime and it's not technically a crime? So anyway, Tom Wilson, as we were talking about it. <laughs> oh, we'll come on to Tom Wilson. But we're in not a bit. saying that he's committed any no, crime at all. Please no, no, don't no. sue this podcast. No. We have no money. No, no, exactly. You can take us for everything we own because we don't have. As I say, Jolon's address is. (laughs) Yes, and all complaints. Tom Wilson, right? Is Tom Wilson making a mockery of the league and player safety? So, just to give it some context, in case you haven't been following the saga that is the Tom Wilson suspension thing. So, Tom Wilson was originally suspended for twenty games for an off uh, for a pre-season hit. Very few people could defend the hit as a good hit. It took the guy out um, in the middle of the ice. Okay, in a dangerous position, but it was a head hit and the guy suffered concussion. I'm saying the guy because I can't actually remember the name of the guy, which is awful because actually... Ben Chris. Thank you. Because he should, you know... He, <laughs> people have talked Sorry, about... I'm trying to drink water. Tom, Will, Tom Wilson being the victim of this, but actually... 
Oscar Sundquist is the victim mm. of this. Um, so he originally got 20 games, which was a big deal. This was obviously the NHL player safety going for it um, for Tom Wilson. And they talked about this whole um, times three accumulator. So because he'd had three games in the in the offseason, uh, sorry, in the playoffs, um, that would be, that was six games. And then, you know, he's had all of these suspensions. So it basically added up. Um, so he got 20 games. And then um, earlier on this week, the uh, arbitrator, the independent arbitrator strikes again and reduces it to 14 games. Now, there is no time machine, as Elliot Friedman pointed out on Twitter, because actually he's already sat out for 16 games. So he's missed 16 games, but the arbitrator said 14 games. Now, of course, the interesting thing about that is he now gets a very nice check because he doesn't get paid for those games that he's missed. But, of course, the two games that he should have been eligible to play for, he does get paid. 378,000... Dollars. Yeah. But oh, he don't has... forget the 48 and the 48 <laughs> and the 70, uh, 78 cents as well, which I'm oh, sure sorry. we all want. But he has paid $800,000. He has. And very interesting because he signed a very big deal in the summer. Then this, you know, he, he sat out a lot and it would have cost a lot of money. Um, but what could but... this have cost Oscar Sundquist? Well, exactly. I mean... We're going to talk about concussion and headaches yeah. later on. <laughs> you know, there are some things that money can't buy. No, and and that's the argument. I've heard a couple of people say that, and they've said, "Well, do you know what? You know, you can't put a price on 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 kind of a hit like that." And I think more worryingly is the uh, there's a feeling of, "Well, who's next? You know, who's next?" And there's no doubt he's a valuable <laughs> player. Um, to the Washington Capitals. I mean, he went and scored. Like, he scored in his first game back against Minnesota. Um, Yeah, looking at some of their their previous games, they were really missing somebody who was big because Tom Wilson is a unique specimen in that he is a huge... He's he's a big presence about him, but he can skate fast as well. He's young. And and those two things, I think, are really rare Mm -hmm. in the league. You normally get one or the other. You know, we talked about LA Kings being kind of a bit slow, a bit heavy, a bit older, (laughs) Uh, the veteran team, as they say. Um, And there's not much you can do about that. But in that sense, Tom Wilson is is an exciting He's what, like 22, 23, something like that, I think? Like, he's young. You kind of expect him to be this kind of old, gnarly NHL in my day kind of, you know, Mm. player. But no, not at all. He's he's a new player. And there is no doubt he plays a really important line to the Washington Capitals and they've missed him. And it's great news for them that he's back. I just wonder whether... Is that gonna is that gonna stop him wanting to do it again? I mean, you'd think so. Fourteen games and as you say, eight hundred whatever is a yeah, lot of money. But, but... The, I think the thing that surprised most people was the number twenty, and everybody mm. went, "Wow, that's really high." Because yeah. they talk about this triple multiplier. Yeah. And when you've got the history, when you've got a reputation, the guy was just coming off a suspension yeah. from the playoffs. So those things wager. In, but at a later date, initially they say, right, what is the hit? Mm. And uh, should this carry a suspension? Then they go away and look at the multiplier, whether there's a history. So if you look at a hit like that, maybe people would expect if it was just a one-off thing, maybe three, four games, five oh, games yeah. suspension. But then to make it 20, I mean, that's... That's a four times multiplier. But that's that's what the arbitrator had a problem with. He had a problem with the three, uh, the, the times three 
multiplier that they used in this and actually said that, uh, you know, times two would have been a better way of doing it. But you're always going to get this. And the, and the, the arbitrator's role seemingly at the moment, and I'm sure there, you know, there's a 48 page document, I think, circulating around the Tom Wilson thing. And they obviously do put the work in so much so that actually the it the appeal process takes longer than the suspension. I mean, it mm. went to 16 games, that appeal process. But I, you've... <laughs> There's going to be a point where surely NHL player safety and George Peros, the guy who, you know, has the thankless task, my days, the thankless task of dishing out these suspensions. Surely they are now just going to over suspend players, knowing that it goes to the arbitrator and then it'll go down to there. However, flip side to that argument, I actually think this is a good thing because they've done it now. They've said they've said 20 games, knowing the fact that he'd probably get arbitrator to notch it down to still 14 games is a huge suspension i actually don't think that if it was originally announced as 14 games anyone would go ah it's ridiculous i think that feels okay it just shows how slow the process is but exactly if you're appealing on this i mean it's not like he was he's appealing for some that's three or four games why was this not dealt with weeks ago it's embarrassing i know but uh, you know the only thing the nhl can do is sack the arbitrator and bring in a new one well the other thing that that bothered me this week, and it was a, it was a key talking point actually, um, about Lucic. Oh, Lucic, yeah. So um, <laughs> we're going to uh, have differing opinions on this, but go on. Uh, like, so Lightning Oilers, uh, he clearly he was following about on on the ice, and, yeah. and 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 he just wasn't really interested, was he? And then. You know, it's been described by different people. It was a bit of a cough. It was, a, it was, you know. Oh, this is one where he chased the guy down, wasn't it? Absolutely. Basically. And because in retaliation is his argument. Well, because the key thing was that he hit a player when the player didn't have the puck, and there was, you know, there was no, there was no play involved in it. But in, to counter that argument, Claire, he was looking after his teammate because that particular individual had given the guy cross check to the back exactly so he was responding to a situation yeah which is what we want to see as a fan we want to see our key physical players on our team actually any any of our players yeah. sticking up saying hey don't do that yeah and uh the other guy bottled it basically but you could see how um after i think it was after a hearing got ten thousand yeah, dollar fine he didn't get suspended did he no like it's it's just so confusing about some of the yeah. consistency of some of this stuff. Why, if there was an issue, why was that not dealt with during the game? Why are we doing this stuff afterwards? It's yeah. it just doesn't install confidence in the way the players and the way the fans see the consistency of what is happening on ice. Well, Lucic did. Well, Lucic kind of did get because he got a game misconduct, didn't he? So he got sent to the stands. I'm pretty sure. Um, I mean, anyone correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he got a game misconduct for it. So he was ejected after after that, which kind of felt right. Like he did, you know, he did the thing, he retaliated, which you can't really do. But I I, I mean, I I know there was stuff that that was called and and the ref did something in the game. Again, I you know what, I haven't Mm. looked at my stuff, but it's just this doing the stuff afterwards just seems... Just so it just all seems so messy. But I don't. But the problem is, I think you've just got a game in transition at the moment because the NHL used to be almost like a self-policed game. Like if you went in and hit someone, exactly, then yeah. you know Matt Martin over there would come over the boards 
and you would be expected to have to answer for your actions. And that was the way that hockey worked. And that is the way that it's worked for years. And now we are in a stage where the NHL is saying, no, hang on, we will police the game. You stick to playing ice hockey. We will police the game. And so you've got this halfway house where Milan Lucic sees that challenge. He doesn't like it. His hockey instinct is, i got to go and give that guy a lesson because otherwise he's going to do it again. And then, you know, he gets a kind of a... He gets the telling off because, nope, that's not how we do it. You've got to leave it to the NHL to dish out suspensions and things like that. Here we go. And so so while we're in this transition between those two thought processes, you're going to get those inconsistencies. Lucic was... Assessed minor penalties for interference and roughing, yeah. as well as a 10-minute misconduct. Yeah. So not a oh, game okay. for Ten the minutes. hit on uh, Matthew Joseph in the third period of Edmonton's game against Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah. Then afterwards, he gets a $10,000 fine. Yeah. It's just... I but then I, do, I, I don't know what you do. I, I, I don't know what you do in that scenario because at the same time, I don't think the NHL and player safety want to take all the physicality out of the game. Like I've seen some big hits that have happened and, you know, a player might have even got injured, but it was a, it was a good hit. And, but, but you, you know, you're always going to leave yourself open to it. On a kind of lighter side, um, in the LA Kings game uh, that the Leafs played, Mitch Marner got a stick to the face um, the other day and kind of blood coming out of his mouth and all that. He was bent over double. And I, his beautiful face. I leaped off the sofa and I was shouting, get off Mitchell, get off him. And I kind of looked around and I looked around and thought, right, who's going to get him? Who's going to get this monster that's just high stick Mitch Marner to the face? No one. Who have we got? I no mean, one. We've got Kadri. Kadri's not going to... Well, he might. He he's, might. He's but there too isn't. much of a key player right now with Matthews out. But then, but then the rational fan in me thinks, this player got four minutes for high sticking. We scored on that power play. That is fine. That mm. is fine. Like that, that is okay. But in Your the heat of the moment, heel, Mitch. yes, exactly. And then he went on and started the first shift of the power play, so he was absolutely fine. Mm. But in that heat of the moment, I can imagine that you know, if we had a Matt Martin still, if we had a Roman Polak, someone like that, you'd think, come on, over the boards, off you go. Now, there's one more thing I want to talk about before we go. You're on one. Today, well, before aren't I you? go, I know. Yeah, I've got to get take it a all breath? out. No, Just no, no I've, got to, I've got to get it all out quick because I haven't got very long. Um, <laughs> William Nylander, um, because I am going to say that by the time I'm going away, right? So I'm going away on holiday for a couple of weeks. So the next uh, podcast I'll be involved with is like kind of beginning of December. So it will have to be sorted by the time I get back. It has <laughs> to be, okay? Because December the 1st is the deadline for restricted free agent William Nylander to sign with the Toronto Maple Leafs or something else happen like being traded. And I just want him to sign. I have seen all of the trades that people are suggesting and they're going, you're going to have this guy, you're going to have this pick, you're going to have all of these people. I don't want them. Really? I'm at the point where I'm like bothered. Oh, no, I've gone, I've, I've been there a few weeks ago. I was there in your shoes. Is this the curve? Now, have you heard of the curve of grief? Yes. Where it goes with anger, denial, yeah. sadness, and then you just learn to let go. Yeah, but you see, I'm not, I don't even know where I am on that curve. That curve, I keep going up and down because I keep, like you, I was like thinking, <laughs> I don't care about this. I don't, we don't need him. It's fine. We don't need him. And then I see on Twitter, there are people, you know, saying horrible things about him. And I'm like, no, don't. He may on the off chance see this. We want to welcome this guy back into Toronto. 
Anyway, I'm going to say it on this podcast. William Nylander will be a Toronto Maple Leaf when I return to this podcast. It's going to happen. Okay? I think you need to brace yourself for a trade. Nope. Nope. He's going to be a Toronto Maple Leaf. I don't know how long for, but he will be a Toronto Maple Leaf. It's very interesting, though, the fact that he could end up sitting out the whole season. I'm just looking on his Instagram. No, he's not done any updates. Done his uh, bio says, your typical rock star. What will it say in oh, two weeks' no, time? does it? Mm. On what, sorry? On his Instagram. Oh, okay, on his Twitter. It used to say something about Toronto, but I worried that he changed it. Okay. But I, I, <laughs> my final thought for this is I feel really sorry for Trevor Moore, who is a uh, a brilliant AHL player for the Toronto Marlies, who is the kind of the, the yo-yo player this year, so he keeps getting called up and recalled as and when we need him. And uh, he just sits as a healthy scratch most of the time, which is fine. But the thing I feel so sorry for him about, this is a huge moment in his career, his calling up. And every single time he gets called up, the Leafs PR Twitter account sends out a tweet saying, the Toronto Maple Leafs are proud to announce that so-and-so. Every single time I see a tweet from the Leafs official PR account, my heart just goes into my mouth and I go, ah, for God's sake, it's not about Nylander. Oh, Every time. Oh, Trevor. And every time it's about Trevor Moore, who we should be celebrating as another brilliant Marley's prospect who's coming up into the uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And all I can think, and you look at the responses on the tweet, it is just everybody going, we don't care. Just oh. sign him. That's all that Toronto Maple Leaf fans care about, which is a good thing because the team are doing well, even without Nylander and Matthews. And um, won't it be great if we can beat L.A.? and we can beat New Jersey 5-6-1, whatever it was, then imagine what we'll be like when Matthews and Nylander are back. Imagine. I don't know how... It's going to be It's going to be quiet without you for a couple of weeks. <laughs> right? It's going to be really quiet. Hey, do you know what I've just oh, noticed about Trevor down. Moore? He was yeah. at University of Denver. Yeah. Which, uh, do you remember who the coach was, who we were talking about, Jim Montgomery? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Who's he coaching? Dallas? Yeah, 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 yeah. He was Dallas. coaching. Was he? Trevor Moore. He's a really good player. Seen him a couple of times for Marlies. He's a really good player. Very good fact. John, I hope you have a great holiday. Thank you. I need it. I think. I think I've uh, I've peaked too soon with hockey this year. It's uh, it's it's stressing me out. I need to come back. Your enthusiasm is like. I mean, if you could just, you know, like Scrappy on <laughs> Scooby Doo, who's just always like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. That's I'd... basically what. Like, I feel like I've only had. 30 minutes yeah. for you to get your weekly conversation of hockey yeah. and you've just gone hey, me, 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 me. I don't I don't ever want to do a podcast where I've got this like time limit that I need to leave it's not healthy <laughs> <laughs> not healthy anyway I will leave you to talk in a far more uh, measured and uh, listenable way <laughs> um, about all things uh, San Jose Sharks and um, I will be back in a few weeks when William Nylander will be a Toronto Maple Leaf <laughs> have a good holiday Dr. Matt Haywood, it's a delight to have you on our podcast. Thank you for taking time out in your busy schedule. Um, And who would have thought that you also happen to be a secret San Jose Sharks fan? Who'd have thought it, hey? Well, we exist. It's a long way to the West Coast, but uh, 
we exist over here as well. <laughs> so in by day, you work as an A&E consultant um, at one of the hospitals in the northwest of England. Uh, but you also happen to, in your spare time, be a doctor to Manchester Storm, uh, where we met um, for the Elite League in the UK, where there's obviously quite a lot of professional North American players there. And I'm guessing as you've done that now for a few years, you probably have seen a fair few things up close and personal when it comes to injuries, blood, bones and broken bits uh, yeah, behind the scenes. Uh, it's my third season at Storm now. Uh, time really does, really does fly by. It just, uh, just sort of drifted, in, drifted into it one night after getting a, 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 a finding a, a message on the Storm website whilst at a Speedway meeting of all things. But <laughs> Yeah, we're uh, we're I mean, the elite league is a majority import hockey league. Uh, there are fixed numbers of uh, of UK trained players on there. But yeah, I get to meet uh, get get to meet people who come through the North American systems. Get to meet uh, people who come through some of the European systems as well. Mm. And we get now and then to meet the ex NHL names, uh, top blokes out there. People you meet like uh, you know in the headline ones, people like Brian McGratton uh, down at uh, down at Nottingham. He's a he's a fabulous guy. Um, moved on and retired now, of course. As has uh, our captain in Manchester last year, who was uh, well be uh, be uh, from from. Your neck of the woods, hockey speaking, of course. Played for Maple uh, Leafs, Jay, Jay Rosehill. Jay was a Jay was a Leaf. Mm, mm, yeah, and I mean he was one of the policemen on the Leaf, but yeah, he mm. he, uh, he did a couple of NHL teams, didn't he? He so, did, yeah, in Philly as well, wasn't he? What what type of things? What's what's your requirements as a doctor for a team in this kind of league? Really, the absolute sort of minimum requirement is to be able to stop them from bleeding in the event that they get cut. <laughs> that's the that that's the that's the clever skill that I that I wheel out now and then. I mean, yeah, yes, it's a it's a it's a hard game. It's a it's a close contact game, and people do get injured. The majority of of what they damage is arms and arms and legs. Really, it's the, it's the limb injuries, the sprains, the strains. Knees take a beating in this league mm. uh, in, the, in, the, in the game really uh, and uh, Craig our physio is kept uh, kept busy keeping uh, keeping these joints moving but uh, I look after those who've got uh, those who've got cut we get the odd uh, tooth get knocked out get nosebleeds to stop uh, pox on faces skates on arms I've stitched and glued many of them back uh, back together again and uh, of course, the old um, squashy bit between the ears. We have, uh, we're as a as a sport and certainly as a league, they're taking uh, taking head injury and concussion a good deal more seriously now. Mm. So there's there's pre-season testing of players for their their baseline mental function. Yeah. I don't know if that's a, a good idea or just a statement about the general <laughs> mental function of a hockey player. So I'll leave, I'll leave that to people to decide. Uh, and, and, and then protection of the players uh, if they are uh, at risk of concussion during a game, taking them out of the game, out of the play environment, calm them down, much like uh, games like rugby union, uh, American football sorted out over the last few seasons as well mm. uh, with, with taking players away for a quite detailed post-injury assessment but before how making much does a difference. your opinion make a difference in these situations? I mean, if you're saying, 
I think you're concussed. You need to sit out. Do these guys... Because it's, it's that kind of sport where people are like, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'll, I can keep going. You know, we're down, we're down a few players. We've got some heavy injuries. I need to just keep going. Or from the coach's point of view, actually, where they might be like... No, 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 I'm sure we'll be fine. We'll deal with it later. I mean, is that those are the kind of conversations that still happen um, behind the scenes? You know, they do. Um, not quite as uh, as forwardly as you uh, as you might think, because the league and uh, and the uh, then Ice Hockey UK have set out uh, set out rules for us. It's absolutely clear mm. that uh, if they're removed from from move from evaluation. They are removed, and that evaluation will take at least fifteen minutes to uh, to complete. And if they meet certain criteria, certain events, you know, they've been lying face first, immobile on the ice. It's very simple. The wording that is used is immediate and permanent removal from play. I didn't you're coming know. off, and you're not going minutes. back on. Yeah, fifteen minutes. That's that's a short time for the amount of work that we've got to do. It takes a it's uh, the, the 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 medical assessments that we've got to do. Uh, you got to get the guys off, get them calmed down, get them uh, get them into a position where you can get them on their feet and, and assess them. It's uh, you know minimum ten fifteen minutes work to to go through the 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 prescribed assessments. Mm. They are really quite thoroughly looked into. Yeah, and then repeatedly in the ne- in the next couple of days, they'll then if if it's uh, if it's a, a storm player. They'll get looked after by our physio team, and if it's a visiting player, they'll get looked after by their own medical team mm. when they get back, and they have those repeated assessments to determine when they're able to go back to play, because a lot of them will get up the next morning and they're just fine. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it's a very interesting how you diagnose concussions. I want to go into a bit mm. more detail on that. We'll kind of go big picture as we talk about some of um, this what's happening over to uh, retired hockey players in the NHL. What? I mean, have there been worse case scenarios? What's the worst thing that you've seen as a doctor doing this stuff? I mean, for me, one instance that jumps out for Manchester Storm was when um, a player who was actually drafted into NHL, Eric Nielsen, a puck hit his cheekbone and his eyeball um, Eric's eye, yes. came out of the socket almost or something like that. I mean, I'm... Uh... Eric, swore, Eric swore blind that his eye had fallen out. Um, yes, he did, he, didn't he? he and he did. was a physical fighter of a player. Yeah, so this guy could was... handle it. He was not a little five foot four scrappy. Oh God, not in the slightest. I mean, he was—he was—he was the probably the most scared I've ever seen someone. Eric had a cut on his on his cheek. It was a good, you know, three quarters of an inch or an inch below his eye. But of course, he reaches up to it, feels his cheekbone in the bottom of it, feels the wound above and below, and in that, it's horrible thought, isn't it? But you're thinking that must be my eye. It feels like my eyelids. He did. I remember and, him telling me that yeah. he was skating off with the captain, Trevor Johnson, saying, it's my eye in. It's my eye mm. in. Yeah. Was that yeah, the worst? Um, that, that's, the, that's the worst one to, uh, to look at. Uh, that, that was the, most, uh, the, the most, uh, most exciting one to look at on the, on the, on the photos of it afterwards. Ah. Well, it's, a, it's exciting if you're a doctor. Um, oh, bad ones we've had this season. Um, we had, of course, uh, Mikey Hammond, a very, you know, very successful, uh, very successful player uh, in the uh, in last season, and of course in the off season with GB. Mm. Uh, it was our first preseason game, and it was minimum minimum contact, and he 
fell and twisted his knee and he was out for, I think, he might even be getting on for six or eight weeks before he was uh, consistently back on the ice and playing. And that wasn't a, a particularly high contact injury. It just goes to show you, you twist yourself just right. Ouch. Gosh. Yeah. And well, I think wounds this year, I think we had um, uh, Zach Fitzgerald, of course. He, uh, he, he cut his face quite nicely. Zach Fitzgerald, uh, again, someone who's regarded as one of the last enforcers of the league. Another proper no-nonsense player. Yeah, just shows, and, uh, doesn't it? It can mm. happen to you at any point. Mm. <laughs> and it, and it, uh, it, it, it can and it will, and we'll just keep on scraping them up. <laughs> Let's come back to how you became an ice hockey fan. Mm. Um, and also how, more importantly, because this is NHL fans from afar, how you have come to be a San Jose Sharks fan, although you've never seen them in person. Where does this love affair start for you? It's a it's a funny old it's a funny old story. I I I think I went to the first hockey game when I was five or six at uh, the old Devonshire Road, Old Tringham Ice Rink. I'm sure uh, some people will remember that. It had a hump in the middle of it, wooden boards, nets, and no glass. It was a proper old fashioned ice rink. Um, and as I realised really quickly, even at that age, that I could actually see what was going on. I'd, I'd watch a I'd watch a football match and I'd just see. 20 blokes running up and down after a ball. But I could actually see what was happening in hockey. It was brilliant. Um, and then I, the, the, the San Jose story, it, it's, it must be the worst story in the world for why you followed a team. I think my younger brother, somewhere around 91 or 92, had a T-shirt from Marks and Spencers with this logo on it of a shark biting a stick. I didn't know. What it, I didn't know. Didn't recognise it was an ice hockey stick. I thought it was a baseball bat or something when I first <laughs> saw it. But I thought that's that, that, that's quite a cool picture, isn't it? And it eventually came to realise because there was no internet or no internet to speak of in uh, in ninety one. You heard about your ice hockey from what what appeared in the newspapers, and I found it was this this team called the San Jose Sharks. Um, and then pretty much simultaneously, we had the NHLPA video game on the Mega Drive. And it's actually plugged into my Mega Drive right now. I still play it. <laughs> NHL PA ninety three. That's how that's how modern I am with video games. Um, and it was, that was before the NHL realised that there was good money to be made out of it. It was just the players association agreed to have the players' names on this. So there they were. Mm-hmm. These players' names just under the under the the the, the town names. And it was lo and behold, there was San Jose. So we'll have a play with them, shall we? And that is really. And what know, were how... they like as a team? On oh, the... dreadful. <laughs> Absolutely dreadful. Uh, it, okay, aside from the fact that it was a dreadful game with shocking artificial intelligence and it wouldn't get through, wouldn't pass muster today. It was the best best you had in 93. But uh, yeah, yeah, they, they were a, a lowly team as at the time. They were only two the years NHL. old. They came yeah, into exactly. the NHL 91. 91. Yeah. yeah. 91, they, they blinked into existence. So they were very much on the early build and they hadn't got what became their long-standing players um a people like uh you know the the, the career sharks people like well patrick marlowe and oh, went to other leafs leafs link there, yeah sorry course. about that what yeah, can yeah, I say? Yeah, we've yeah. got mike babcock yeah patrick marlowe yeah. was an incredible story isn't it for his link to san jose sharks that he was drafted he, to them and spent he, what was it 17 or 20, 19 years yeah, with them his entire career college college onwards from the year he was drafted he was just a 
a grinding, hard-working Sharks player. Mm. And he was always, one of those players who was always there or thereabouts. He never seemed to be injured. He never, you'd, you'd watch him and you'd, you'd never think, there's, a, there's a, a marquee player that you're watching there. But then you'd look at the stats afterwards and say, he's there. He's there. Absolutely, and he's a crucial part to Toronto Maple Leaf success. Mm. He he jumped wagon, didn't he, uh, in 2017. Um, I guess it was really that the Sharks didn't have the money to offer him. But hey, that's another story. Now you've got some really good players, actually. You're on decent contracts there. And Mm. of course, you've got Eric Carlson. Um, But just just to kind of recap, so you, you... uh, fall in love with this team in the 90s. You're obviously mm. watching occasional hockey in the UK, but yeah. how have you never seen this team? What? Well, how do you consider yourself fan? I mean, because also, these guys are on the, the, the Western Conference, so the time mm. difference for you is epic. That's it. I, I, I'd see the, I, I see the odd game on the, uh, on, uh, on the website or on the on... Premier Sports or whatever it's wherever it's being broadcast. If I'm having a, a late night from work or a sleepless one, this switches on and you can uh, you can catch up with sharks. But I mean, yes, to to watch to to, to watch the games, you know, you had to turn yourself over and because uh, they're sort of uh, two two thirty a.m. face-offs. <laughs> just about just about finishing in time to go back to work. Well, as I, as someone who also works shifts and does night shifts, yeah, there's no such thing as uh, time zones, is there? When you do jobs like that. No, it's uh, you, you go where you go where the work is, and you stay where the work till the work's done. <laughs> let's just for people who don't know about San Jose Sharks, let's just mm. recap. So Western Conference Pacific Division, about since nineteen ninety one, so relatively new in terms of NHL hockey, I suppose. Yeah. Um, what your coach is Peter DeBoer? What's he like? Who is he? Was he about? Peter DeBoer, uh, yeah. Would you credit it? It's another. It's another Toronto Maple Leafs <laughs> link. He was drafted by the Leafs in his uh, back in his playing career. Uh, so it's, yeah, these, these, these Leafs get everywhere. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's been uh, been around San Jose for uh, for a couple of years now. He's brought them up uh, to become from a, a, a fairly consistent team to being a, a consistently successful team. Again, they've just come up to be there or thereabouts, and he's he's got a very Fairly distinctive playing style. Uh, it, it seems that when you're watching when you're watching the Sharks, they've got this fairly distinctive back and forth, almost dropping back into their own neutral zone and back out. I don't know how much of that is just uh, evolved the with the the way hockey is playing because a lot of a lot of teams have, have got that sort of uh, sort of flow to their game now, or whether it's something that uh, that the Burr brought along with himself. But he certainly uh, acquitted himself very well. The is uh, it uh, two. Or three, uh, two seasons ago now, when they had the uh, the, the run up to the to the Stanley Cup Finals. Mm, because when, that's the uh, thing you haven't you've never won a Stanley Cup, and no. that 2015-16 season was the closest mm. you got when you had a final loss. Was it was heartbreaking because they'd, they'd had uh, uh, quite a challenging run up to that to, to that final. They had the the, the very long series against. Uh, against uh, the Ducks. They had a long series against Nashville. They went three overtimes uh, in, uh, in in one of those games. So the, the, you look at the amount of hockey that the, the Sharks have paid compared to uh, to the Penguins in that final. The you know, the, the Sharks had all put in six, uh, I, think, I think I worked it out, as, it was uh, the equivalent of eight games more work mm. than, uh, than the Penguins. And of course, you come up against the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, 
Sidney Crosby in his pomp. I mean, you, know, you can say what you like about him. The guy has got it. The guy has got it. He is a truly awesome player and probably it's the... not a bad uh, the... team to lose to, is it? That's yeah, awesome. yeah. This, it could have been... Yeah, I mean, you'd be more peeved if you lost to Edmonton too. Oilers, wouldn't you? Let's face yeah, it. Yeah, you'd be a bit dis- you'd be a bit disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> you'd have been a bit disappointed. Tell me about your goalie, Martin Jones. So, he's... $3 million contract till 2023-24. So that's quite an investment, actually, because some of your key players, they're on quite short contracts. But $3 million isn't necessarily breaking the bank. What What's his kind of reputation? He's a, another another one of those solid players. He's uh, he's been on uh, on the uh, on the, the national teams in the past. He posts consistently solid numbers. He's he's not the the, the you, you you watch his again you watch his style and he's really quite distinctive. Uh, he's he doesn't seem to spend as much time on his knees as some other of the, the, the modern butterfly style goalies. But you look at the speed with which he can take his uh, take himself down and down to the ground and back up, uh, and the the way his, uh, his his right pad and his stick will just flash down together. Uh, in fact, there's a he, there's a, a Penalty save in a, a game just uh, just the other night uh, against uh, against Flames. You know he's, he's he's standing up and he's you thinking he's you got to you've, you've got to go down and uh, and and defend against his save because you could you could see clearly that the that the shooter was going to go was going to go low and he just stands there and stands there and you think he's missed it and then you just see this flash as his right pad and stick drops down and, and he saved it. It's the speed of the guy is unbelievable sometimes. Mm, gosh. It's, Speed of him is unbelievable, but if you look back at his uh, at his uh, at his numbers, um, you know, apart from uh, the, from seasons sort of way back in the uh, in the in the early 2010s, up in, the, in his AHL time, he's consistently put up uh, nine point one, uh, sorry, point uh, nine one point, uh, almost point nine two uh, on occasion save percentages. And that includes his uh, his uh, his Stanley Cup year, of course, with uh, with the Kings. So he's 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 got a, a consistency over years and years and years. The only you, you see it in the the big goalie names, you know, people like Lundqvist. I mean, clearly they're putting those up. And you go back into history, you know, people like Martin Brodeur. Mm. Well, yeah, you, you 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 need to bother turning up. You might as you might as well just wield out a brick wall as put <laughs> as put Martin. And he was he was he was stunning, stunning as a keeper. And there will there will never be a keeper with that that. That save athleticism, coupled with the skating and puck playing, although there's the opportunity now for that to redevelop because the uh, with the um, the trapezoid rules are going to change eventually. Yeah. Certainly in the in the WHF, they've uh, goalies are no longer uh, given quite so free reign to to um, to to uh, freeze the puck. So there will be a place for a skating goalkeeper. We will start seeing netminders, not just in the corner like we used to in the days of, of automatic icing, yep. but starting to head up the rink, starting to make those outlet plays. And in fact, you know, dropping back to Manchester, we've seen that we've seen Matt Jin, our number one netty, uh, out beyond the uh, out beyond the hash mark on a number of occasions this season already, just starting the play out. Terrifies it's, me that. It's, yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't much like to leave uh, leave my pipes unattended, but uh, you know, it, it seems to be working for him. <laughs> Let's and talk he's... about some of the other people who are in front of um, Martin Jones as well. 
obviously the the big name when it comes to defensemen that everyone's been talking about was that trade with Eric Carlson. Yeah. Um, and then you've also got some other great players in uh, Brent Burns, even mm. your forwards. I mean, Joe Thornton, Thomas Hurtle, Evander Kane, uh, Logan Couture. I mean, these are these are you know great players. Joe Pavelski, of course, your captain. Yeah. Um, what difference do you think? Um, are you seeing because it doesn't look numbers wise that it's made a big difference, but the energy and the expectation of having someone like Eric Carlson come across to San Jose, um, is that actually starting to work out? I know it's early, but you know, it's a hockey's a momentum sport. Hockey is a momentum sport, and you you get a a, a name, a style, a player like that come in. And the belief you can see goes up. We've always had a, a, a good defence. Yeah, the whole of the, the whole of the San Jose is uh, it, it's consistent. It's nothing if not consistent. Um, but the, there is a, a feel that you know this is a this is a defence. This is a blue line unit that that uh, that is going to be putting up some of the some of the biggest uh, biggest walls for approaching attackers um, on you know. On power play, on the on the on the power kill, there's just a poise about them uh, in bringing in bringing them in. Brent Burns has always been the been the uh, defensive cornerman. He's you know shares the 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 talent of all great defenders to have uh, decent hands, good skating, powerful uh, powerful stick handling, and look absolutely terrifying to boot which can't hurt he's just a fascinating guy isn't he if mm. if people ever want to go away and just have a bit of a um a giggle i mean i like finding out more about who these players are behind yeah. behind the you know off the rink and san jose sharks did an amazing uh series with brent burns texas life and mm. uh, he talked about the always something ranch and so he has his own zoo doesn't he um, out he does. in Texas, and he's obsessed with looking after and caring for animals. And it, they did this whole video. It was about seven minutes long. The documentary is like a mini series, and they took um, the fans kind of behind the scenes of his own ranch um, in mm. Texas, and it was unbelievable. Oh, it's it's it, it's glorious. He's he's a, a one one of those prize prize guys where you you. The, where what you get is so so different from what you expect. If you were told you're going to go and meet, you're going to go and meet Brent Burns, and you're the only picture that you're sent of him is the wild-eyed, toothless mid-game grin, you would never pick pick the pick the real Brent Burns out of the, out of the lineup. And yeah, his his uh, his home zoo is uh, it's a, a a thing of a thing of beauty I know. but it's uh, he's not it's not just the, the domestic stuff he's full of uh, he's got his uh, uh, her, uh what was it? it's a herd of deer a flock of deer whatever he's got a he's got a collection of a collection he of has. deer anyway yeah talking about things of beauty joe thornton's beard yeah, or lack of it. So it, this kind of happened uh, around the start of the um, the season, didn't it? Where mm. Joe Thornton just tweeted pictures of bits of beard on a plate, um, yeah. which made everyone just laugh so much because he and Brent Burns had both been growing out their beards since the 2015-16 
playoff mm. run, I guess. It was. It, 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 the, the beard started to appear towards the end of the regular season, I think, and then and came into its own almost as a, it deserves its own, own team number, really, that beard. <laughs> but isn't this interesting how he started the season without this beard? You've got Eric mm. Carlson coming in. It's almost like kind of saying for San Jose Shark fans, OK, we're not going to hold on to things of the past. This is a new season. Yeah. Fresh start, let's grow and we move forwards. It feels a bit like um, a symbol, symbolism to the start of a new, new season for you. It does. And you look at you look at Joe and Joe, bless him, doesn't he just look 10 years younger without it? I don't know. Um, I mean, he just looks like a different person. Uh, well, is, is, uh, he actually I, did look I, a bit I, like Jesus with the beard. I mean, it had it was mostly brown, wasn't it? Big bushy thing coming well, sideways as well as thing, down. A few grey bits through it, and he'd yeah. comb it outwards. So it's like his and it's just a face surrounded by hair. It was like a lion's mane on occasion. Some of the, <laughs> in some of those in some of those pictures, wasn't it? Actually, I started growing a beard because I, I I thought I'm going to grow a beard like Joe's, and then I realised it was just never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it was never going to happen. Um, but Joe, yeah, he's uh, he, he's a, a remarkable guy. He's 400th NHL goal in the in the small hours of this morning. Uh, again, beautiful goal to goal to watch. One of those lovely puck crosses the crosses the ice twice and just tipped in. Couldn't you, you couldn't you couldn't line it up better. <laughs> um, but uh, he's. He's had so many problems with those uh, with those knees of his, and so much surgery on them. And certainly, when he when he uh, went out towards the end of last season with a knee injury and needed uh, needed uh, reconstruction surgery yet again, uh, yeah, I'm just hearing the hearing the stories and just thinking, yeah, that's the end. That's that's the end of his season. That, mm. That's going to be a season to recover it. They're into the playoffs. Lo and behold, in the second round, there he is. He pops up again, up and skating. Absolutely amazing. I, I thought for a moment that he, the, the the reason he'd done that was, you know, deep down, he, is he is he thinking, this is it. My knees have had it. This is my this is my last chance to get a ring on my finger. Yeah, uh, I'm going out to play, and acquitted themselves, you know, well enough. But you know, it wasn't it wasn't to be last year after the uh, after the, the, the monument season the year before. Um, yeah, you're but talking about someone who's he's the fourth oldest player in the league. He's 39 yeah. years old now. I mean, he mm. was back in 1997. He was he was a number one draft pick for the Bruins, yeah. and he's got so many different medals. He's got mm. you know world championships. He's got Olympic gold, but he hasn't got a Stanley Cup. So it's yeah, all he's missing. Yeah, and that's all. That, you know, the the you know, that, that's what the guys who are in the NHL and have got to the NHL dream of. Every pro hockey player. They want to make it to the show. So... Ironically, he and Patrick Marlowe, Patrick Marlowe is the fifth oldest player in the league, also 39, mm. was drafted draft number two um, player in the same year as Joe Thornton. So Joe Thornton was number one pick. Patrick Marlowe was number two pick, obviously went San Jose Sharks. And both of them have the same medal collection, but neither of them have Stanley Cups. So wouldn't that be interesting? Imagine if you could see a San Jose Sharks v Toronto Maple Leafs a Stanley Cup final at the end of this season oh. and it'd be a story of Joe Thornton versus Patrick Marlowe who's going to finally get the Stanley Cup of their career, their only it, chance. <laughs> it sounds like you've already got the script written on that one. <laughs> Let's just talk about expectations and then we'll I want to move on to concussion. We'll be a show. What yeah. do you expect as a San Jose Sharks for this um, this season? Uh, 
I... You're going to make yeah, the playoffs, I... surely? We're going to make the we're going to make the playoffs. We're not going to make the playoffs as a as a wild card. We're going to make the playoffs as a divisional champion. Okay. We're going to yet again because we always seem to get the Anaheim Ducks in the first round of the uh, of the playoffs. And my annual prediction is going to be it will be a seven game series. <laughs> uh, and I was completely surprised last year, of course, when uh, when the Sharks went the Ducks. I'll note that down for my bracket challenge. Uh, you know, it'll it, it just always happens. Second round, LA Kings always seems to be, except this season. You know, who six months ago would have uh, would have taken a bet that uh, the, in the first first month or two of the season that uh, LA Kings of all people would have the lowest win record in the league? Mm, funny things it's, happening in California. They are funny things happening uh, happening west side of the states because having gone to the Cup final, of course. Who's the second lowest lowest uh, win percentage? It's our friends, the Golden Knights. Uh, it would have been lovely to see them as a uh, as a as an ongoing uh, high performing team. But I think what you had last year was uh, was a bunch of players who've been thrown together by this quirk of fate, and they just wanted they they've just said we're going to do this. Yeah, we're just going to we're just going to we're just going to show people that we can do it. And momentum. And they've gone out and momentum it is such a momentum game and those you could you could feel it from the beginning um there was a throw they, they won their first they, they, they won on opening night and everyone said oh jolly good that's uh, unusual for a winning team and then they won their first three games and uh and the tweet started appearing vegas golden knights only undefeated team in nhl history <laughs> and you just felt that something was going to happen here yeah a lot of eyes were on the pacific division last yeah. year weren't they and this year it's slightly different for different reasons people are looking at the pacific division mm. yeah yeah but the uh, it's uh, un- yeah unfortunately yeah I- i'd love to say that yes the sharks are going to win the cup this year it's going to be a very tight run thing who it's do you going to be think... a very tight run thing. Give me a name. Who do you think's going to get the Stanley Cup this year? Um, ah, I've got to say Sharks, haven't I? Really? <laughs> of course, I'm, of course you I've got have to say to. Sharks. Um, I, I, I don't know. When it, when it comes down to it, I'd, 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 I'd love to see them there. I'd love to see them there again. Fair love play. to see them just carry that consistency. Loyalty up, pays through. off, Matt. What can I say? Um, but yeah, if it's not to happen, it's not to happen, and uh, and I, I don't, I don't, it's not worth getting getting upset about it in a twenty whatever it is year history. One go at the at the cup final, we'd have spent an awful lot of time being upset <laughs> if you weren't just going to say, okay, it's not going to be us this, it's not going to be us this season. Let's enjoy the hockey. <laughs> Let's come back to um, relate to things in terms of your day job because mm. some bigger um, announcements um, this week uh, from the NHL were to do with the settlement which is ongoing they've reached a tentative agreement is the words they yeah. use where these 318 uh, plaintiffs um, have you know gone and joined as a joint lawsuit to um, basically go and sue the NHL about not warning them about the dangers of repeated head hits mm. so the deal that they've um, put together at the moment, which is still waiting to be accepted and will probably take another few weeks to debate. But the NHL uh, would pay 17 to $19 million. $7 million of that goes to the lawyers' costs. 
7 mm. million is divided between the 318 uh, plaintiffs. So it's not 318 players. It's not quite how it works in the legal world. But that works out to about $22,000 each. Um, mm. And there's also this common good fund, which um, the NHL will have to put $2.5 million uh, towards over the next five years. The deal includes free neuropsychological tests, some medical treatments, cash payments. Um, it's a tricky subject in that what the law is um, looking at and where the NHL has been criticised is about this looking between the link between neurological problems and the Mm. game of hockey and what evidence there is or is not, in some people's um, opinions, uh, that such a thing exists. The key thing that I was trying to work out, because people use this language of CTE, um, you know, how do you prove CTE? And, uh, you know, it's chronic traumatic Encephalopathy? Encephalopathy. There you go. That's why you do your job and I don't do mine. Big big plus word that means broken brain. There you go. And, you know, this is where people see changes to um, behaviour, aggression, depression, personality Mm. changes, thinking, memory. It's a bizarre thing, isn't it? But when you come back to the basic, how do you diagnose concussion when you're kind of dealing with this day-to-day and then looking at the long-term impacts. And the thing that I couldn't quite work out was um, people are saying, how do you prove CTE? And one of the key ways that they've looked into where they have proved it has been when actually players have died and they've donated their brains, haven't they? Yes. Um, and done all this medical research. What What are your thoughts about where the medical information about this is at the moment obviously there's more work to do but what do you see from a medical point of view right now where we're at uh i i i like a lot of uh, a lot of doctors in in my emergency medicine field uh we're eternally frustrated by head injury and head injury management we're getting out of the t- out, of, out of calling it head injury and drifting on to calling it brain injury whatever happens you know let's call let, let's call it what it is it's the most important organ in your body and it's uh, it's being damaged we have limited understanding of how the brain works we know certain areas of it do certain tasks but you could never take it apart and reconstruct how the brain works. We have very blunt tools to look at it. They are, uh, you know, our, our, even our scanning, CT scans, MRI scans, they give you a picture. They will tell you kind of like looking under the bonnet of your car. If you pick the bonnet up, you can tell that the engine is not covered in oil, but you've no idea if it's going to start. So we are then doing functional tests, crude stuff, levels of consciousness, are you able to control your uh, your motor function, your immediate memory recall, your long-term memory recall? And these are difficult things to assess. And when you're talking about the CTE patients, the uh, it, it, it's even more subtle than that. It's those long-term changes in personality and understanding that happen so slowly over such a long period of time that until something catastrophic happens... You may not even notice, you may not even realise that these problems are developing. Um, I don't know if you've seen uh, uh, Concussions, a film with uh, uh, Will Smith film a couple of years ago. Mm. Uh, story of uh, the story of um, of 
chap called uh, Ben Amalu, who's a forensic pathologist, uh, who did an awful lot of the initial work in the States uh, on the, on CTE and went to war pretty much with the NFL over it, as they also have a fairly high contact game and a fairly high number of patients who've been, uh, I shouldn't call them patients, players who've been long-term damaged by these chronic, repeated minor head injuries. Mm. Because people have always accepted that if you get smacked over the head and you form a bruise on your brain, then there will be some damage. What we're talking about here was the repeated, minor, otherwise overlooked blows of the game. And if you look at American football, you look at the the, the big fellas on the, uh, the offensive, the defensive line, they're playing a game which almost requires them every single play to bang their head against the guy in front of them. Yeah. And if not directly contacting helmet to helmet, then certainly starting their body from no speed to high speed to stop in a very short amount of time, and the brain will shake around in that. Mm-hmm. So they're often unseen injuries. Everyone thinks of, uh, of uh, boxing always, always comes to mind. And we think of, uh, of the, the, the few boxers who tragically died in the ring. And you can identify the moment where a, a severe blow happened. What about the boxers who 20, 30, 40 years uh, on into their career are showing the signs of damage from these repeated, non-individually harmful blows, but cumulatively very harmful blows? And one of the one of the great debates, and I don't think will ever be answered, was whether um, Muhammad Ali's Parkinsonism was related to uh, to that chronic battering that he took throughout that uh, that that remarkable career that he had uh, had in the boxing ring yeah because when we bring it back to hockey i mean two key names jump out at me um steve montador uh, ex chicago player who mm. had a history of concussions and he died at 35 years old this is 3 years ago of a degenerative um uh, brain disease yeah and the other person who was highlighted who died um in september last year was jeff parker now he's an ex um sabs player and he died at 53 now he only played in the nhl for 141 games mm. five years 22 to 26 um and when he died he uh he had, i think he actually ended up unconscious in 91 which ended his career um, mm. But when he died, they donated the brain to Boston University School of Medicine. Yeah. And they found that he had stage three CTE. Um, and that opened the door to this. Some, we've got to do something about this. This is, this yeah. is you know, a big deal to go from 26 to 53. And just in those few years, what a difference that had potentially made on his brain. Um See, the thing is, it comes back to when players are retiring or even actually when they're part of the league, it's understanding Mm. what responsibility the league has for checking that these guys are okay. Um, Yeah. Because I've heard, uh, as people have been debating this over the last week on Sportsnet, TSN, you know, Hockey Central, all this, they talk about when guys retire... Some guys are preparing and they slip straight into another career quite easily, don't they, post-game. And other guys really struggle. We see the big case of the documentary that came out by TSN earlier this year of Joe Murphy, um, uh, ex-NHL enforcer, who they have found him and he is homeless and he's become a drug addict. And he's Mm. trying to bring him back into civilization, if 
that's the right word. But he's just so far down the line that they're really struggling to to bring him back, really. And so the, yeah. it's kind of like, in some cases, the guys are saying, well, the league is offering help, but the players don't want it. And at uh, what point is that responsibility? You have to do this. It'd be interesting to see that common good fund, mm. what the actual criteria of that is. Yeah, I mean, I don't, the other the other question, of course, is is you know, it goes right back to, right back to the beginning. Yes, your your hockey helmet's got a, a lovely little label on it that says uh, there's hockey is a dangerous sport, etc., etc. But how much do we know now? Do we need to be telling people that that they are they are informed that this is the risk that you're taking by participating in this sport? Um, and the 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 end of career thing is it's you know it, it, it must be from the top of the NHL from having pretty much all the money that you're going to need and you're fed, you're watered, you're clothed, you're housed, you are completely wrap around, looked after, to being entirely on your own outside of that, often for the first time in many years, because these guys who are retiring from uh, from the NHL, having got that high, mm. they'll have started their hockey careers age six or seven. They won't have realised they were starting a hockey career, but those two or three nights a week skating with the juniors, those every weekend training, those two or three nights a week games that ramp up and up and up. Uh, it's the start of their career. They've invested their entire lives to get to the show. Mm. And then at the end of it, when it just stops, there's well, what, what's the runoff? Yes, mm. there's those who will, will step very rapidly into a broadcasting career. And you can spot the ones who are going to because they're the ones who give a good interview during their, uh, during their playing career. They've got something useful to say. They're 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 interesting people. Um, most hockey journeymen, of course, are never going to wind up for, wind up like that because they're not the they're not the headline players pulled out for the interviews at the end of the game. They don't get that they don't get that name for themselves. Some yeah. of them find and feel their ways. But you can kind of see if I compare if I look back to the people who I um, left school with when I was age 16 we've all gone on different paths we've all Mm. kind of studied over those five years together and we've gone on different paths and some people have done really well some people have done okay some people haven't done they just kind of turned down and out that's just the nature of life isn't it Mm. so it's it it seems quite hard to substantiate, or it certainly seems from the NHL's point of view, about acknowledging whether, well, actually, you know, that's not to do with the sport. That just might be, I don't know, in their genes. They might be, you know, it might just be that that that's just how it is. That's just life. They might have, they might have gone that way if they'd gone off and become a, and, and gone off and become a builder. It, I think I think that is going to be what it comes down to. There's going to be an awful lot of uh, of wrangling by uh, by solicitors. You can see, you can almost see and hear the phones ringing as the uh, as the industry builds around this. Yeah, um, but I'm I'm interested in what you're saying about even in the UK when the players are brought into the league that there are these mm. tests that are done to test their cognitive functions right before yeah. because you would be thinking in the NHL right now or any professional sport that those tests are happening right at contract level and people are you know so they know exactly the before mm. and the after i guess you can tell with some of these tests yeah it's not quite at contracting level but certainly for the elite league this year they're, they're after they're they're signed up they're on the on the team roster we have to as a, as a medical team do 
a, a thing, something called the, the King Devic test. For anyone who's interested in looking it up, it's a, it's a reading test. You sit in front of a computer and read numbers off the screen against the clock, and it's a it's a it looks a fairly crude test, but it's actually a fairly good measure of how your how your 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 higher brain functions are working in in seeing, reading, and understanding instructions on the screen plus we do uh, memory recall balance coordination tests as a baseline before these guys go out to play so in the event that they get injured we know what they were like in the first place because mm. uh, I'll, I'll tell you from experience given that you're talking about players who are um, who are paid to stand and slide around on quarter inch wide pieces of steel how many of them struggle to stand on one foot <laughs> <laughs> Need to do some yoga. Yeah. So well, I, we, we do get them to do yoga at Storm now. We've got a yoga coach. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, a whole whole hockey team all leaning over their over their gigantic blow up balls, shaking uh, shaking a pose. Now there's a picture. <laughs> so what I just want to kind of understand from a medical point of view, because we're seeing the NHL is they're saying they're not acknowledging any liability for mm. these claims that have been made. But from a medical point of view, and obviously this is not your professional opinion, it's your personal opinion, that there is a link, you think, between these repeated head hits and then uh, that people like, that the hockey players may be sustaining whilst they're playing um, and between later in life, the neurological problems that it, could ensue. It's difficult to ignore uh, across quite a diverse uh, number of sports. American football we've mentioned, uh, ice hockey we've mentioned. Um, there are CTEs from professional wrestlers. Uh, Chris Benoit, a WWF wrestler, very, very tragic story. Uh, he uh, ultimately wound up uh, murdering his uh, his family and, uh, and taking his own life. It's a, a horrendous story. And he was found to have changes of CTE. Was it the cause? I don't know. I don't think anyone would like to, dis- like to speculate, but he'd been involved in this chronic contact uh, contact sport. Um, Andrew Martin wrestled on the name test, another one with, uh, with, uh, with CTE. Boxers we've mentioned, uh, footballers. So is what uh, you're saying that actually there's more and more evidence appearing that there could be a link? Yeah. There's many, many of these sports are seeing not to, it, it's thrown into sharp relief in the, in the high impact, high contact sports. And that's going to be, that's always going to be American football, hockey and the, and the, and the martial arts. But in these, in these, what you'd think of as lesser contact sports, it, they're appearing as well. They're appearing, they're appearing as well. Now, how much of this is that, uh, it is that we are now looking for a problem because what, what we can't possibly answer is how many people would have had these changes of uh, of CTE and never noticed it or it never be recognised that, uh, that, that that's what it was. It may have been put down to all manner of things. We know in the past, you know, sportsmen have been known to enjoy uh, enjoy a drink now and then. And some of these things may have been put down to alcohol, for example. Um we're now looking for this as a specific thing, and we're now finding it. I think the frightening thing might be if we were to start looking at non-professional sports people uh, and find out what's the instance of this within within society. Uh, I think then we would be opening uh, opening difficult cans of worms. But until then, I think it's going to be very difficult, and you can see why why the NHL are are, are stepping away from 
accepting liability uh, because, well, they they're, they would be admitting to something that fundamentally they don't know mm. and they can't know. Yep. So it's uh, to keep watching more about and see whether these players accept this tentative agreement or whether yeah. they continue to push for something bigger. Mm. And the, and the, when you look at the figures in terms of money, the NFL settlement that came through in 2013 ended up being a billion dollars. Yeah. And this we're talking about 20 million dollars. It's a tiny drop. You're talking about something that was class action where you're mm. seeing thousands of players um, able yeah. to apply for this um, settlement for NFL and here um, NHL has been denied class action status by a judge earlier mm. this year and it's restricted to only 318 cases. So, yeah, Matt, we've talked so much, we've talked so long about so many different things. It's been really interesting to hear things from a medical point of view. Thank you so much. Oh, um, really, really great. Thank you for having me. And the only thing I'm, I'm, you know, just want to uh, check with you. So you're saying that you think sharks are going to be taking the Stanley Cup home this season? Oh, I'd love to see that. <laughs> we would love to see that. Yes, go on, put my name to it. Sharks, I'll put it in my bracket now. <laughs> and you never know, do you, that you might find another San Jose yeah. Sharks T-shirt being sold in Marks and Spencers. You can only hope, can't you? Well, if, if they're selling San Jose Sharks in Marks and Spencers, it means that more more people in this country have realised that this is a brilliant game and deserves the, deserves more of a following and more of a coverage than it gets. <laughs> Matt, have a great season. Uh, wish you the best of luck and let's hope that we have that Thornton Marley, uh, Marlowe uh, uh, Stanley Cup final that I could possibly dream of. They'll write operas about it. Thanks to Dr. Matt Haywood uh, for cracking insight into that medical site. And also, I hope that Jolan has a great holiday. He's still munching his lunch somewhere or back to work, wherever he may be, hiding in a different studio right now. We're staying with Pacific Division next week as we're talking Anaheim Ducks. And delighted to welcome back Stephen Edwards, Talk Sports Stephen, uh, who's going to join me to sit in Jolan's seat. Uh, so many more things that could happen in this next week of hockey. Join us. So don't forget to subscribe, to rate and review us. And of course, you can email us. Tell us what your story is. NHL fans from afar at gmail.com. And of course, we're on Twitter as well, at NHL fans from afar. See you later. Bye. <laughs>